This is tape number 13 of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven by Dr. Joel Hunter. Common Questions About Heaven, Part 2, will be the subject of this message. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, and from the New International Version, it reads as follows. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you, when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law of the prophets. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by message number 13, Common Questions About Heaven, Part 2, in this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. We are fully known by whom? By God, in a relationship, who sees what's going on with us. And it puts us in that, in that same posture. If you want another scripture that corroborates that, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Now remember in Hebrews 11, there's the hall of faith. All of those who have died looking forward to the promises of God. And therefore they go to heaven. Now watch how closely the first verse of chapter 12 is linked to those people who are now in heaven. Look at what it says. Therefore, since we have, those of us on earth, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us and so on and so forth. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are those witnesses? Those who have died and gone before. What is a witness? The witness is someone who sees what's going on. Uh, there's also the passage in uh, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 6, verse 10, where, where the people, um, uh, the martyrs under the, under the altar, are crying out to God as they observe what's going on earth. Lord, how long will you tarry to answer uh, the injustice that is on earth? See, so their concern is still very much what's going on on earth. You know by your scripture reading that uh, it says the angels rejoice over a single sinner that repents. There's a great party in heaven over a single sinner that repents. Well, there's that kind of knowledge of what's going on on this earth. I believe that the Bible tells us that. So yes, they do know. The follow-up question was to that was, does it make them sad? Does it make them sad? Well, that's a normal question from our perspective, isn't it? But read Revelation 21, verse 4, where it says, He wipes away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. There is no sorrow in heaven. Even though there may be a remnant when we get there, while we're still you know, adjusting to the heavenly perspective. And the reason for that is, is that we see things from God's perspective. We know that God himself is working out his great plan on this earth. We realize, Romans 8.28, 
that, that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we see everything in the heavenly perspective. There is no reason for sadness. It does not mean, it does not, and, and, and as we gain that heavenly perspective while we're down here, there is no reason for sadness either. It doesn't erase the hurt. Uh, it doesn't erase uh, many of the things that human flesh is heir to, but it gives you the perspective that you need to know that God's in charge even down here. And so there is no reason for sorrow. How do we know that... Oh, I'm sorry. It says, um, do you immediately go to heaven when you die? I believe the answer most assuredly is yes. Luke chapter 23, verse 43, records this. Jesus looks while he's hanging on the cross at the thief next to him and said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. I don't think Jesus was kidding him or just trying to make him feel good or, or speaking figuratively. I think Jesus said today, and he meant today. So yes, you immediately go to heaven. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, Paul, in his struggle, is to, you know, Paul had times like all of us go through when, when we just get so tired and so discouraged, he just said, man, it would just be better just to go to heaven, go home, you know. Uh, lots of people have those times. And Paul, in that struggle, it's recorded in Philippians chapter 1, said this, chapter 1, verse 23, I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. Notice how those two are linked together. To die, to depart, and be with Christ. So there is an immediate, there is an immediate link there. Now, it certainly is understandable from an earthly perspective, and especially from an Old Testament perspective, where you could not imagine life without a physical body, uh, to think of this, this thing called soul sleep, where you, where you sleep and there is no consciousness until resurrection day. But that is not what is recorded in many parts of the New Testament. Then there was a question, at what age is a person responsible for salvation? You see, all of us believe that we're born into a world of sin under original sin. Uh, and so we are prone to sin. But there comes an age where, where you understand and you are morally responsible as an adult. It's called an age of accountability. What age is that? Well, historically, that has been around the age of 12. Look in Luke chapter 2, verse 42, and you will see Jesus going to his bar mitzvah. It says in verse 42, And when he became 12... That's Jesus. They're talking about Jesus here. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast, and so on and so forth. Now, uh, we have had a long-standing heritage that says that there is an age at, at which we come into moral and spiritual adulthood. And that age is around the age of 12. By the way, it is not um, uh, coincidental that the child development experts, Jean Piaget being uh, one of the chief ones, say that it's around the age of 12 years old that young people can, for the first time, grasp abstracts. Things of abstract. Before that time, they can't understand anything but in physical terms or concrete terms. But around that time, they can grasp abstracts, which say they can have a personal relationship with a non-physical God. That now it is possible. And when you can do that, then you can have that personal relationship with Christ. And therefore you can assume moral and spiritual adulthood. By the way, this is the age, this is, it's around that age, where we have the Protestant version of Bar Mitzvah, which is confirmation class. 
and we offer that twice a year. It says, how do we know people remain people in heaven? I, I said a, a few weeks ago, uh, people don't become angels. That's a doctrine that, is, uh, that has come, by the way. Let me give you the source of that. I think it's Matthew 18, 36, where Jesus is explaining that uh, you know people are not given in marriage in heaven and so on and so forth. And he says, but they are like the angels. He didn't say they become angels. He says they're like the angels in that they're not given in marriage and so on and so forth. So that's, that's where it comes from. But the fact is, people remain people in heaven, and angels remain heaven. Uh, angels, they're two different realms of being. Uh, turn with me, if you have your, your word with you, to Revelation chapter 7, verse 11. And let me show you where they're, they're, they're pictured in the same scene, standing together, yet quite separate in their identity. It's this scene out of heaven that says, And all the angels were standing around the throne... And around the elders, the elders are people, and the four living creatures. Now, there are pictured three different realms of being. We've talked about the Zoe when we went through the study on Revelation. And people and angels, they're different beings. And so you, you, don't, you don't turn into an angel. You are always a person. Um, if heaven is so good, why shouldn't we want to die? Well, the fact is, many of us, when we go through rough times, do want to die. Uh, and some of uh, you think about it quite often, and I hope uh, you will let make God make that decision and not do anything to usher in your own demise. But the fact is that there are also people who, who believe very strongly in heaven but aren't ready to go anytime soon. And, and part of that is because uh, people cling to that with which they are familiar even though that which they are familiar may not be as good as what they could have. If you question why do people stay in stinky relationships, I would tell you five, nine out of ten times it's because that's what they know. That's what they're familiar with. And so rather than, rather than going to uh, or enhancing that, that relationship in a, in a wonderful way, you know, they, they just stick in there and they're miserable because that's what life is. Uh, and so... Rather than venturing forth in a in a uh, you know a whole new era, yeah, we'll we'll kind of cling to what we have. Um, okay, that's that's enough on that. Uh, uh, uh. Once we are in heaven, can we visit Earth? Once we are in heaven, can we visit Earth? No. <laughs> well, not unless you're sent. Now, there's an instance in in uh, Samuel, First uh, Samuel chapter 28, verses 14. Uh, where uh, Saul is out and, and Samuel, who has died, gets conjured up and just scares the bejeebers out of Saul. But he was sent out of God's purpose for that purpose. There's also a, cha- a, 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 a passage in Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, where Jesus is praying and there appear to Jesus Moses and Elijah. Again, scared the disciples half to death. But, but it was in God's arrangement that they appeared. But let me assure you of this. Outside of God sending you on some sort of mission, and those are the only missions like that recorded in Scripture, you aren't going to want to come back. Take my word for it. It's not that you're going to want to come back. Um, It says, um, What about sincere believers who are misled? What about sincere believers who are misled? Now, I, I believe that that's covered in Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about the children. 
And he, and he begins to, by saying, you know, unless you become uh, as one of these, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 6 he says, Woe be to anyone who deceived these, who, who, who uh, caused one of these little ones to stumble. It, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and be cast into the sea. And then in verse 14, it says, For it is not the Father's will that any of these little ones should perish. Now, here's what I believe the Bible would clearly teach. The Bible would clearly teach that once you are saved, sincerely saved, and that's the the question, what about sincere believers? Once you are sincerely saved, you persevere, no matter how mistaken you are in your theology. If there's anybody punished, it's the, the ones who have misled you, and there are people who are misled every day. But... Um, if you are saved, you're saved, period. So don't worry about how badly your, I mean, worry about how badly your theology gets contorted, but that's not, you're not, ba- you're not saved on the basis of your theology uh, or its development. I like this one. Will there be sex in heaven? There's always somebody who asks this, you know. And I understand. I understand that, you know. Um, <clears throat> no. There won't. Well, let me explain it to you. Let me explain it to you. I know that comes as a great disappointment to many of you. But let me explain it. And, you know, but don't, you know, there's not going to be sex in the other place either, so don't, uh, <laughs> don't avoid heaven for those reasons. Yeah, let me tell you what, uh, what C.S. Lewis said about this. This is so cute. He said that one time that uh, somebody was explaining heaven to this little boy, uh, sorry, explaining sex to this little boy, you know, because he wanted to start this sex education early and so on and so forth. And the little boy, who loved chocolates, said, well, do you eat chocolates while you're having sex? And the, and the person says, well, no. And he says, well, I don't believe I ever want to have it then. And, and, and the, the, the take on that was he couldn't imagine anything better than chocolate, you know. Well, I know some of you still would prefer chocolate, but, but in a wonderful, God-given gift of our sexuality, within marriage, we know sex to be much better than chocolate. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, 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 we, we know of no greater intimacy, we know of no greater pleasure, we know of no greater uh, joy and freedom than a romantic relationship with your husband or your wife. Uh, it's, it's just great. And so, like that little boy, we can't imagine uh, ever giving that up for, for anything better. But, but there is something better. Uh, there, again, we will have spiritual bodies. And I, will, I believe that there will be gender, gender differences, although, um, um, well, I, I believe there will. But, I, but the need for um, uh, sex uh, uh, and the desire for sex will be supplanted by something that's much more pleasurable, much more intimate, builds much more of a relationship. All of those things that sex was intended to do down here on earth and does what, when it's well used will, will by all means be done much better in heaven, not needing that instrument of sexuality. So, you know, you, you married people enjoy it while you got it, but... Uh, uh, there's something even better. Will we have the same character in heaven? Or better, better yet, will, be, will we be the same characters that we are right now? And, and, I, and I believe... Uh, oh, by the way, that you want a scripture for the, the sex thing. Um, uh, Luke chapter 20, uh, verses 27 through 35. It talks again about 
being given in marriage and, and uh, so on and so forth. By the way, I think that I think I misquoted Matthew 18. Anyhow, get a tape. I know it's all right on the tape. <clears throat> Will we be the same characters? Yeah, I believe. I believe we'll take our personalities into heaven, or at least a remnant of our personalities. When we, that's how we will be continuing uh, individuals. Um, the glimpses we're given in heaven, uh, and the glimpses we're given of hell in in uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, talk about. Uh, Lazarus still being weak and needed to be taken care of, and Abraham caring for him, and the, and the rich man in hell uh, wanted to order that poor guy around still, uh, still trying to mani- manipulate his way around. Had the same personality he always had, looking out for himself. Um, um, it, again, that scene in heaven of the martyrs under the altar, and they're contending with God. They're saying, God, how long are you going to let this down here on earth go on? And you think, how in the world could anybody... You know, contend with God when they've been in heaven. Well, that was their personality down here on earth. The martyrs were the ones that were strong enough to die for their faith. Very strong people. They're not trying to sass God. They're just strong and they want to know, so they ask, you know. So, yeah, we will take a lot of the personality we now have with us. Will we see... This was written to me by three kids. I like this. <clears throat> they, were, they were really thinking this through. They said, um, our dad... Um, reads us devotions every night, and he's been trying to explain to us the Trinity. But we don't get it. Our question is this. When we go to heaven, will we see one God or three gods? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? Well, let me first say that we are monotheists. That is, we believe in one God, but we are not simple monotheists. That is, we are not like the, Arab, we are not like the uh, Muslims or the Jews that believe that God is a simple entity. We believe that he is both singular and plural in his being because we believe in a triune God. He is one, yet he manifests himself in three ways. Now, you never see the Holy Spirit, even though the Holy Spirit is God, because his function is to bring us to Christ. But when we are given visions of heaven... Practically all the visions of heaven that we have do include both the Father and the Son. Um, If you have your scriptures with you, let me show you one of those. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. This is a passage about the first martyrdom, the first martyr, Stephen. And it says in verse 55, by the way, this this has all the Trinity included here. It says in verse 55, but being full of the Holy Spirit, He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So therefore, the Bible pictures us seeing both of those personalities of God, both of those those manifestations of God. All right. It says, um, oh, a follow-up from, uh, from the last uh, few Sundays. How will we serve others? I said when we get to heaven, it has us as servants. How will we serve others? I have no, no idea. It doesn't say. It just calls us servants. Um, uh, how, why would we need to be served when there are no needs? Well, we don't need to. But how do you serve others today when they have no need. I mean, how many people that you serve really need you to serve them? No, that's not the reason we serve. We serve in order to love. 
we serve in order to display our love. So, so I don't know how we'll serve up there. I just believe that we will continue to display our love in that way. Will we be sad about those who are missing? The answer is no. Again, Revelation 21.4. There is no sorrow in heaven. What we will have, again, is that perspective. And we will see the absolute justice of God. As a matter of fact, we will praise him for that justice. Now, I've read some very good people, some very good authors, who explain to us that those who are missing from heaven not only chose it, but continue with their choice. The books that I read about those in hell are still shaking their fist at God and trying to excuse themselves, trying to justify themselves. And so they have stuck that character. And when we get to heaven, we will see that God could not and would not have worked it any other way. Now, I'll address that issue again just in just a moment. I'll address it in another way. What about the new earth? Uh, that's a millennial concept. I'll talk about that next week. Do children remain children in heaven? More people ask this than you can imagine. Number one, because very many people have had abortions. Number two, because many of us have uh, gone through miscarriages. And number three, because many people have lost uh, infants, you know, as they've been babies. And, and their first question is, is, is that going to be a baby? Do they grow up? Will they grow up by the time I get there? And, you know, will, will they be adults and all that kind of stuff? Um, I would say to you that the question uh, is not, uh, do all of the children grow up, but don't all the grown-ups become children? Matthew 18, it says this. Jesus says, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you something about the people in heaven, because this is the quality of heaven. Everyone in heaven will have the ability to have a relationship with God, because that's what heaven is. Everyone in heaven will have the ability to praise God, to honor Him, to love Him, to love one another. Everyone will have that ability. So no, there won't be any little undeveloped embryos in heaven. Those people will be given bodies... And they will be able to worship God. But, watch this from the other end. We will also have that ability that we have lost through our adulthood. We have lost the ability, the simple relationship we have in God, the closest we can come to that relationship. G.K. Chesterton said this, is, is a romantic relationship. That's the closest thing we have down here. Kind of the excitement of romance, the closeness of romance. Well, if you can think for a little while, the way that you are best in your romance is to become childlike. You can't be romantic and not play. That's what a lot of romance is. You remember when your kids were little and they just ran naked through the house. Just the freedom, you know. There was no shame. They hadn't grown up to be ashamed. You know, they just ran, and they just jumped into your arms and they just laughed and giggled and so on and so forth. They just had this wonderful, playful relationship with you. Uh, and, 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 and as you got older and, and, and you had that, uh, you kind of regained some of what Adam and Eve had when you first got married, you know. And, and there was this wonderful, playful thing, you know. And, and, you, and, you, and you weren't worried about it. You you just loved each other. Well, that's, that's kind of what the relationship will be like. But it has the quality of being childlike. You know? And so the question 
uh, is not, uh, won't all the children grow up, but won't all the grown-ups grow down? <laughs> and the answer is, yes, I think they will. I think they'll be much more like children. Um, what about, 17, what about those who seem like they haven't been given a fair chance? Um, in Job, in, verse, uh, in chapter 4 and verse 9, it says this. Well, let me just ask, the, let me just tell you this. And, and, and there's another question like this. Um, is Christianity exclusive? Isn't Christianity exclusive? We say, if we say, uh, um, along with John 14, 6, no man cometh to the Father, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, Jesus said. Doesn't that make for an exclusive um, um, religion and, 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 and we're right and everybody else is wrong? You know, and what about those who have never heard? What about what about those who 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 haven't been given a fair chance, and so on and so forth? And and how could we be so arrogant and all of that kind of stuff? You know, we have read this all wrong. We have the we have the the world's perspective on this thing. The fact is that there is a right and there is a wrong. There is a right and there is a wrong. And until we learn that, we're going to keep messing up our entire lives and sabotaging our own happiness. God gave us objective truth in order that we could be fulfilled. Not in order to keep people out. In order to bring people into what was true happiness. And therefore, the invitation of Christ is not exclusive. It's inclusive. Whoever will may come. That's, that's a totally positive thing. But yet truth has boundaries. Truth has boundaries. So, so we're not exclusive in the invitation. But yes, truth has boundaries. There is such a thing as a right and a wrong. You saw this little, this little group down here, you know, and, you know, and they were all carrying their little things. And it looked like one little kid went the wrong way. No. He was the one in the group that was right. He was supposed to be the leader of the second part of the group that went around this way. And so he stops right here and he looks back. And he just kept to his duty. You know? He just, he wasn't to be deterred. He was going to do what was right. And he just went right down that thing. And even though he was all alone, you know? Well, there's a right and there's a wrong. And he did what was right. And so the fact is that God has worked out this system that has justice and has truth even as it also has mercy. Now listen to this. Here's the bottom line question. Because most of the time when people are asking this, what they're doing is saying, I want to be in a position where I'm judging how God's arranged this thing. That's exactly the wrong perspective. Let me ask you a question, and this is the bottom line question. Do you trust God to do what is right? Do you trust God to do what is just? Then whatever system he has is the right system. And so therefore, we're not in the position to judge God. No matter, no matter what we come up with for the answer, what about those who have never heard? That's all up to God. His, he is the judge. And so therefore, we can't say, well, I don't think it's fair. I want to tell you, whatever God does is fair. Whatever God does is just. And the question is whether or not we can let him be God or we need to take on that responsibility. If you take it on, we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. Do you trust God? That's, that's the point. And, 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 and Job says, we can't answer God one 
out of a thousand times. Job, who seemed like he was going through the biggest injustice of the world, he came up with this answer. But God's still God and he can do anything he wants. And so our job is to love God, to take the truth as it's been revealed to us, and to tell others about it, and let God worry about the justice system. And I'll guarantee you, when you get to heaven, you will see that there hasn't been a jot or a tittle done wrong in this world. Okay. Let me then... Uh, last one. Um, this, has been, this is also um, um, an often asked question. People don't like to hear that there's no marriage in heaven. You know that? I've had, I've had several people write me and say, Look, now, I love my wife. I love my husband. And I want to spend forever with them. Um, um, and, and here's the good news. You will. If they're Christians, you will. You will. You will and as a matter of fact, you will have a relationship with them that's a thousand times better than the relationship you have with them right now. Do you know, listen to this, that Ephesians 5 gives us this picture. That the best marriage, the marriage that is, is exactly lived out in biblical principles, not only is supremely intimate with one another, but has been given to us in order to prepare for the ultimate marriage, which is our marriage with Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And, and it says in Ephesians 5.32, but this is a mystery. It's a picture of Christ in His church. So the reason that we're given marriage at all down here is just to practice up for our marriage up there. Now let me tell you this. As I said before, I don't want you to get discouraged and think that somehow when you go to heaven, your spouse is going to get lost in a crowd somewhere and you'll get separated and never find no another again because there's so many people in heaven. No, no. You will be more intimately and lovingly involved with that person than you ever were down here on earth. Does it then take away from that image to tell you that you would be just as intimately and lovingly involved with every other person in heaven? No. It should increase your love. Does it, does it take away from your love that you have more than one child? Uh, does it take you away from your love for that child? No, it increases your appreciation of that child because you can see how unique they are and how different they are. And so, so the point is that God will give us a relationship with each other that is, that is better than marriage. Yeah, and, and all of these questions, I'll, I'll end here, all of these questions are so difficult because it's so difficult to picture a world that is so different. So much higher, so much better, so much more pleasurable than anything we've ever had. Even more pleasurable than the best pleasures we know down here on earth. But that's what heaven is. And I guess all we can do is just keep reading, keep anticipating, keep looking forward to it. But not try to bring it back down to our standards here on earth. Pray with me. God, get us ready, we pray. Get us ready for heaven. Get us to a place where we so look forward to not only the relief of the pain down here, but also the superseding of the pleasure. Get us to the place, Lord God, where we say that, that only God could give us something better than we can even imagine. And as it says in your word, that's exactly what you will do for us. Give us more than we can even ask or think. That will be heaven, Lord. Get us ready. Get us ready. Get us ready. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.